Well, this is big. The Supreme Court this morning heard oral arguments in the case that could kick Trump off the ballot. And I want to bring in Aaron Parnas, our legal expert, to break this down. What is going on here? Give us the latest. Yeah, so the case is Trump versus Anderson. It arises out of the Colorado Supreme Court. If you remember, the Supreme Court last a couple months ago in a 4-3 decision held that Donald Trump violated the 14th Amendment's Insurrection Clause, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And the court essentially kicked him off the ballot, but stayed that decision pending a resolution in front of the United States Supreme Court. And this morning, the United States Supreme Court heard argument from Trump's team and also from the group behind the effort that to, kick, to essentially kick Trump off the ballot that initially sued in Colorado. So oral argument was held this morning, and now we wait for a decision. And give me the outline sort of of the argument coming from Trump's side and the argument coming from the kick Trump off side. Yeah, so it's actually interesting. The Trump's main argument, and remember, so we're on a, we're on appeal. So the facts of the case don't matter as much because you're dealing with legal issues. You're not dealing with factual issues on appeal. So Trump's team argued two things. First, that the president is not within the confines of the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause. Uh, the president doesn't fall fall within that clause. So that's number one. Number two, Trump's team argued that if you find that the president does come under the 14th Amendment, then you know it's up to the courts, or sorry, it's up to Congress, not the courts, to decide whether to kick someone off the ballot. Uh, so that was their two main arguments. They didn't argue that Trump did not engage in insurrection because that was a purely factual issue that was already decided by a lower court. Gotcha. And before getting to the other side's argument, let me read for everybody just to kind of refresh uh, your memory, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or uh, comfort to the enemies thereof. So the argument that we've talked about in the past from Trump's side is that the president is not an officer of the United States. Where do you fall yeah. on that? Essentially, yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting argument. I don't think it is super legally sound or historically sound based on the text of the Constitution. But they're making the argument because if you read the clause in full, you see that it mentions senators, members of the House, uh, electors, but it doesn't actually mention the president or vice president for that matter um, earlier on in the clause. So they're arguing, hey, this clause was written by the founders to simply include Congress and the electors. Um, this wasn't written to include the president and the vice president. Personally, I, I think that argument is flawed. I think that a president is considered an officer of the United States, considering the president takes an oath, um, just like any member of Congress would, to protect and defend and, and serve the United States Constitution, essentially. So I, I, I would fall, and I, and I think the Supreme Court will also agree that the president is an officer of the United States under Section 3, um, but I don't know if that it'll, it'll be a unanimous decision. Interesting. And so then uh, reiterate the argument coming from those trying to kick Trump off the ballot. 
Yeah, the argument on on their side is simply Trump engaged in insurrection. He is an officer of the United States and the judiciary, the courts are a perfectly acceptable place to decide whether or not a presidential candidate can remain on the ballot. It's really that simple. Um, This appeal is not coming from the side that's trying to kick Trump off the ballot. The appeal is coming from Trump's team. So they're the ones putting forth these novel legal arguments to attempt to keep Trump on the ballot. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. And in the case of, for example, if you're not of the proper age or, and there's a legal challenge to that, or you're not, um, a citizen who was born in the United States and there's a legal challenge to that, that would be decided in the courts, right? You would typically take that to the courts. Yeah. And the court, the federal courts would typically issue, um, some type of injunction maybe at first while the case is pending um, to keep someone off the ballot. And then you'd have a fact-finding mission if you're not old enough or if you're not from the United States, a naturally born citizen, you would be removed off the ballot. I mean, it, it's really that simple. And so I wanted to make those comparisons as we launch into this clip, and then I'll explain why. Perhaps I think the one that they inevitably will take is the Colorado case, because that really goes to the heart of can you have judges preventing the voters from voting for one of the major two parties nominees assuming donald trump is the nominee and by the way colorado they're trying to take him off the primary ballot um i don't think the supreme court i i I think they're going to reverse that quite easily i think that decision is utterly lawless the main decision is even more laughable and 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 more and more we see in courts, we see at the Department of Justice, we see among elected Democrats, we see in the corporate media, they are motivated just by this overwhelming hatred of Donald Trump and they're corrupt. So it's just important that people remember these arguments of this is lawless or this is taking away people's right to vote or not letting them have the options they want. It's as much that as age restrictions, if indeed section three of the 14th amendment applies to trump's actions then just constitutionally he would have to be barred from the ballot this is just a matter of upholding the constitution so we'll let the courts figure out if indeed it applies but it really bothers me that people try to act like this is some you know outside of the constitution effort outside of a democratic process effort this is what having a constitutional republic looks like Yeah, I mean, I I agree. And I I also think there's one important caveat here is that, say the Supreme Court decides, you know what, a state like Colorado has the right to kick Trump off the ballot, he violated the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause. Let's say they they hold that, then it's going to be going back to the states, because we know the Supreme Court loves states' rights. And we know that we live in a federalist system where each state essentially authorizes and conducts its own elections. So you will see states like Colorado, states like Maine, likely remove Trump off their ballot. But then you will see other states, um, like, for example, Minnesota or even Michigan, who have already come out and said um, that they may not be as willing to remove Trump off the ballot. He may stay on the ballot in those states. So you may end up getting a, a scenario where Trump is on the ballot in half the country, but kicked off the ballot in the other half the country. Yeah, and I've been saying, as I've seen many others say as well, I'll admit, I think it would be more satisfying to have Trump lose in the general election and he loses because he just doesn't get 
enough votes compared to Joe Biden. But again, you can't selectively apply the Constitution. So we'll see how it all plays out, but you do have to abide by that principle. And that's being decided right now by the courts. Donald Trump did a press conference at Mar-a-Lago to respond to the big Supreme Court case or arguments being heard this morning on the case, of course, deciding whether or not he will be on the ballot in the state of Colorado. And it does seem, based on how things went today, that the very conservative Supreme Court will knock down the Colorado Supreme Court's decision and keep Trump on the ballot, but we'll see how it plays out. And Trump's press conference uh, on this subject immediately went off the rails with him saying, this I heard and I watched, and the one thing I'll say is they kept saying about what I said right after the insurrection. Because I think it was an insurrection caused by Nancy Pelosi. Now, of course, that's absolutely delusional and insane. But I also thought, wasn't it, wasn't it Nikki Haley that he was recently saying was to blame? Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her ten thousand people. <laughs> Hmm. Um, but that also contradicts the argument his lawyers were making in court today. His lawyers were arguing what took place on January 6th was not an insurrection. But Trump is saying it was an insurrection. It was just Nancy Pelosi's fault. So publicly contradicting his own lawyers with an insane conspiracy theory. A lot packed into that. My goodness. Then you have this moment with the weaponization of uh, politics they weaponized it like it's never been weaponized before it's totally illegal but they do it anyway and it has to stop every one of the court cases that i'm involved every single one civil whether it's the attorney generals or the district attorneys you look at you know every time i see a clip like that i'm reminded of the startling disturbing fact that so much of this country truly believes that every single case being brought against trump is a part of some grand scheme to take him down. They believe that it's more likely, it's more likely that dozens of prosecutors and jurors and judges and the evidence being brought forward and the legal analysts saying these cases are strong and the former Trump administration officials saying they saw the things, he did the things and should be held accountable for the things. The Trump lawyers pleading guilty and on and on it goes. All of that is a part of this grand plot to stop Trump. That's more likely in their mind than Trump. One guy, not hundreds at a conspiracy, one guy did some things uh, wrong and is now being held accountable for it. Before getting to another clip from this press conference, I once posed that very thought experiment to a Trump supporter at a rally, uh, but it didn't budge him much. I need you to admit I'm it's not wait, it's not crazy to go hmm it's probably more likely that there's not the largest conspiracy yeah, in the history one, and you don't even list my sentences come on in the history of the world where every single judge every uh, single grand jury juror every single prosecutor every single person involved every witness who's testified against trump or who's going to and has already been interviewed and all the stuff we're learning all of that's fabricated or the one guy who has every interest in the world in lying to protect himself is the one guy lying that's a lot simpler here um, let's go back to the 2020 election. And uh, I saw this. Now, Milwaukee, um, uh, there was, uh, they actually came up with more votes than the entire population of these pre voting districts. You need to Because you're some, you've been brainwashed with this hatred. Um, 
I'm just full of love. Yeah, and that's just factually incorrect what he ended with. But he wasn't too interested in what I had to say, obviously. And yeah, it makes sense. The grand conspiracy with the hundreds of people all a part of this thing and fabricating really convincing evidence and all of it. Uh, and a lot of things that we saw out in public from Trump. Nah, 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 nah. And this is the dangerous thing about the messaging from Trump. Once you can convince your base that in every situation where Trump is accused of something, held accountable for something, whatever it is, he's the victim, then every extra horrible thing that we learn about Trump is just further proof that they're framing him or he's just being victimized in a new way. So he's, for example, determined to be a civilly liable rapist. Ah, no, no, that means he's once again being wrong somehow by that case. He's indicted for trying to block the peaceful transfer of power. Ah, he's the one being wronged. Pretty maddening. A movement, as I've been saying, defining itself by the victimhood of one man. Pretty sad and pitiful. Here's Trump saying at the same press conference that, uh, press conference that presidential immunity, meaning being completely shielded from criminal liability for any actions taken as president, is the most important thing for a president to have. Well, I can say presidential immunity, which we'll be talking about because that will be upcoming, is very, very important for a president to have. If a president doesn't have immunity, he really doesn't have a presidency. Uh, he can be... Uh, he can be told to do things that he would never do. He can do really bad things for our country. Presidential immunity is imperative. It's going to be very, very important. And I'd rather talk about that next week. But there is nothing more important to a presidency than immunity, because they have to be free to make decisions without saying, oh, if I do this or if I do that, as soon as I get out of office, we're going to be indicted. We're going to have trouble. And the other party will do that. I think we've seen that. They've done that. There's some very bad people. So the appeals court ruled against him on that claim. He's going to try to get it up to the Supreme Court and we'll see if they agree to take it up. But it's an absurd argument. We heard Trump's lawyers in court arguing that if Trump ordered the assassination of, or if any president ordered the assassination of their political opponent by Navy SEALs, but weren't impeached and convicted for it, they wouldn't be able to be criminally prosecuted. So just flat out saying the president should be above the law even as a former president for things they did while they were president. And I've seen people make this point um, far and wide, but that means Trump is saying Biden could refuse to leave office no matter what happens in the election or assassinate Trump or something crazy and wouldn't be able to be criminally prosecuted, held accountable under the law for if he weren't impeached and convicted. Truly insane. Well, we just got even more bad news for Donald Trump. It just keeps piling up, my goodness. And for this, I want to bring in legal analyst Aaron Parnas. Great to be with you again, Aaron. So break down the latest on this. It relates to Eugene Carroll's case. And we're also going to talk a little bit more about a pattern emerging here with Trump's now potentially former lawyer, uh, Alina Appa. Yeah, so we now learned the reason why the court denied Alina Abba's mistrial in the E. Jean Carroll case. If you remember, during trial, Abba questioned Carroll about several uh, DM messages on Twitter and emails that Carroll allegedly deleted because they were, contained death threats. And when Carroll said that she deleted them on the witness stand, Abba made a big fuss about it in the courtroom and asked for a mistrial over a discovery violation. But we now know that Abba's team actually knew about the deleted messages 
for almost a year before trial, January of 2023. And the court essentially said in its written opinion, you knew about this for so long, yet you brought it up in the middle of trial to make a spectacle. Um, and the messages themselves would not have impacted Trump's case. So they were the mistrial motion was swiftly denied. So explain for the audience a little bit of the context here with Alina Abba and how this wasn't her only failure in this trial. Yeah, I mean, at, at some point, it seems like these delays in bringing up uh, issues are deliberate uh, because the first time Alina Abba, when Alina Abba first took the case, she failed to bring up an immunity defense. Trump had wanted to assert that he was immune from liability because the actions in the E. Jean Carroll case were taken while he was president of the United States. But Trump's team did not bring that defense up until just a few months before trial. And that issue went all the way up to the Second Circuit. And no one touched whether Trump was actually immune or not because the appellate court simply said, you waited too long. And this is now a repeat where she just simply waited too long to bring up the issue about these deleted messages and emails. My goodness, so a few different clips I wanna play for the audience and then get Aaron's response to them. We'll start with this from a recent interview that Alina Abba did on Eric Bowling's show on Newsmax, then we'll break it down. Was Did I get this right, that she was initially awarded $5 million and they came For back sexual and, assault. Uh, and uh, then I want the world to remember something. We're in a planet where George Floyd got 40 something million. People that have wrongful death get 10 million. But this jury, awarded for defamation for a sitting president to deny an allegation to say i didn't do that i don't remember meeting this woman and this actually works against sexual assault victims who are real victims that's what his statement said as a sitting president he had to address the press then the other statement was on the lawn going you know answering reporters again he says i did not do this um 83 million dollars $83 million. People die and get less. Yeah. Die and get less. Yeah. Yeah. It's Trump derangement syndrome and beyond. Yeah, man. Get it out of New York. If you can move that venue, if you get another trial, if you get it right the heck out of, yeah. behind, get out of New York, for sure. Yeah. Right. So Aaron, uh, give me your response to that clip. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really make much sense. The jury gave an $83 million verdict in this case, partly because it wanted to send a message to Donald Trump and to others that you can't lie about someone else's character and damage their reputation and get away with it. Uh, the verdict, when you break it down, it was 18 million in compensatory damages or damages to Carol's reputation and 63 million in punitive damages, which are meant to punish Trump. Um, and when you compare that to other wrongful death cases or um, other lawsuits around the country, it is a lot more than your average lawsuit. But Donald Trump is also worth a lot more than your average defendant. And if you had a $10 million verdict here, uh, that's a drop in the bucket for Trump who claims he's worth $4 billion. Um, $83 million really hit him where it hurts. And that's what the jury intended to do here. Yeah, and we saw this all play out. Trump would not stop during this trial. He was posting about her 30, 40, 50 times a day, just nuts stuff on social media. Then that ruling came through, he stopped. And so clearly they picked a, the correct number because you do have to take into account what the person is gonna actually feel and care about. And Trump wouldn't care about something uh, comparable to 
other cases with people with smaller net worths. Um, I also want to play a clip we've looked at in the past that is sort of core to ABBA's argument as to why this trial was so unfair and it's a Biden-directed somehow witch hunt. And here's what she had to say after this decision. Attorney General Letitia James, and now this. Weeks. Weeks. Why? Because President Trump is leading in the polls, and now we see what you get in New York. So don't get it twisted, whoever asked me that question. I am so proud to stand with President, President Trump. But I am not proud to stand with what I saw in that courtroom. Hubbard, the I'm not finished. Let me just finish, and I'll take questions, please. Before I walked into court, that judge decided that every single defense President Trump had, we were not allowed to raise in front of the jury. It is in writing, and I encourage the journalists, the real journalists, to take the minute to look at his orders. There was no proof, and I couldn't prove that she didn't bring in the dress. There was no DNA. There was no expert. My experts were denied, two of them. Two of them were denied to come in. So I've touched on this a little bit, Aaron, but explain to the audience again why that argument doesn't make sense of it was so unfair and they blocked us from arguing that Trump didn't sexually assault Eugene Carroll in this defamation trial. Yeah, I mean, the answer is simple. You just don't get two bites at the apple. Uh, they argued that they should, they essentially tried to relitigate that Trump was liable for sexually abusing Carroll when a jury already found him liable for that fact. You can't now in a subsequent trial go back and say, hold up, everything that that jury found a year ago, uh, let's talk about it again. Uh, the fact of the matter is Trump was liable for sexual abuse and the court made clear that Carol and Trump can't reopen that issue during the defamation trial. And we did get a social media post now, sort of old news, but essentially it was Trump saying that his team is looking to hire um, different law firm talking to law firms. Does that mean that Alina Abba, even though I'm seeing her pop up in public appearances still, is she on the outs or what's going on there? So I, I think Alina Abba was hired initially to kind of be more of a legal spokesperson for Donald Trump rather than an actual attorney in the courtroom. Uh, there's a reason that she only litigated the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial and briefly this defamation case. It's because she doesn't have the experience that some of the other attorneys on his team have, especially when it comes to appellate practice. So it's not surprising to see that Trump is going to go a different way for the appeal, especially after Abba already lost a key issue on appeal in this Carroll case. I think Abba stays around, but I could totally see her getting layered uh, to some or relegated to just a more spokesperson role on Fox News every night rather than an actual attorney role inside the courtroom. Mm. And it has been long said about Trump. Often he'll see someone he likes on TV who's sort of saying it in his Trumpian type of way and go, oh, that's that's the lawyer I, I want. And so maybe that's a fitting position for Abba. And then is it a fair assessment based on what you observed in this trial that Abba actually not just didn't help Trump a lot, but actually hurt him and is in part to blame for this devastating 83.3 million dollar decision. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I think Abba's actions in the courtroom certainly didn't help the case. But ultimately, she was, in my opinion, doing just what her boss wanted her to do. Uh, she did. She acted like Trump as an attorney would act. Um, and I think 
Trump was happy with her performance, even though the, her performance likely was to his detriment. But then again, defending a client like Trump, he was his own worst enemy throughout the entire trial. So the reason he lost was because of himself, not because of his attorney's performance. Bill Maher brought a right-wing podcaster named Patrick Bet David onto his Club Random show. And there was a moment that I saw circulating that I want to play and then discuss. And it's a moment where uh, a drunk Bill Maher asks PBD Patrick Bet David who he's going to vote for. And his response is indicative of a larger phenomenon that I want to discuss. He strangely squirms and avoids directly answering the question for a while, even though, and I've seen a good bit of his podcast, he's a Trump fan for sure. But again, he avoids saying that for some time. Here it is. This is, I'm always about this. Um, I do not. You're supporting Biden though. Of course, because we only get two choices. I mean, what is so hard to understand about, about bad and worse? They forced America to take the vaccine bill. 70% Americans took the vaccine and they didn't want to take it. Where, a lot of them didn't wait, wait, take wait a it. second. When did the vaccine come about? Under Biden? Uh, no, under Trump. No, no, it didn't. It came two days after election was over with. Two days after election was over with, uh, Pfizer announced it was not under under Trump. Oh. They intentionally yeah, kept right. the vaccine you're right. after the election, so they gave the victory That's to right. But uh, Trump, Biden. But Trump was not anti. Trump was like, I created the vaccine. I don't disagree with you. I agree with it's you. A, oh, he I takes see. it as a victory. I'm, I'm on the same page but, with you. Okay, but. But there's a difference, though. Yeah, this is the one I, difference, Bill. But I May even, I say this? May yeah. I say this? And then, and then push back. Here's the difference. You know what the difference is? How many times have you heard Trump get on stage and brag about warp speed? We okay, saved 100 okay, million okay, people's just, lives, can right? Can I just ask you a simple yeah. yes or no question? Yeah. Who, not exactly yes or no, but who are you voting for? I'm voting for whoever allows me to make decisions more and not somebody that what? decides what's good for me or not. Bro, we're not in a debate here. No, no, the, the, the left, left, the left I asked you a yes or no. vaccine. Wait a second. The state of we, California we, and we, the industry you're in force you to take the vaccine. So you don't know who you're voting for? I'm voting for whoever allows me to have more freedom with the choices I make. And, we, and you don't know that yet? It's definitely not going to be Biden. Well, then it would be Trump, wouldn't it? If it's between the two choices? What? But look at you. you Are you kidding me? I, it's not even a close call, by the way. But the fact way. that you just can't own it is very weird, man. You know, this like, who are you voting for? Uh, well, the Constitution says, <laughs> it's two words, Trump, Biden. I'm voting for Biden. I'm owning that. Do I think he's yeah, perfect? But, but I don't, no. But I don't think it's I like think that. I think it's not even. I don't, I don't think it's like that. I don't think it's like well, that. Well, just say you're for Trump. I, I, if, if a person watches my- I don't dislike my, you for your, I, but, I don't dislike. Bill, if somebody watches my podcast, they're gonna know who I'm voting for. Well, if somebody watches a podcast, they're going to sit there. But how odd that you can't just say it then. Because to me, I'm voting based on values. I'm not voting based okay, on. Okay, but we know what the values are of Biden and Trump and their and their policies right. are. We know everything the about left them. The left is about force. The right is about choice. So there's obviously a lot there that we could do whole other segments on. The right being about freedom and the left about force is silly. And quick plug, if you do want to see a bunch of PBD's ideas and stances like that dismantled, David Pakman appeared on his PBD podcast and did a great job of doing just that. So you can find that on Patrick Bet David's channel. But I want to focus on something different about that clip because I've spent 
years now arguing with people over what either side stands for and freedom actually being a principle that the democratic party much more upholds and the vaccine stuff my goodness we've gone over so many times the anti-vax people seem uninterested in hearing it out but i have been wanting to address this i'm above your traditional labels and have found this enlightened way to approach all politics sort of thing because it's becoming increasingly really popular and you understand what people feel good articulating that and identifying with that and the response reflects it so much i'm not voting for trump i'm voting for the values that i align with based on the principle at the core where i resonate yeah okay who are you gonna select on the dang ballot <laughs> we all based on our values make these decisions i'm asking you about the decision after you assess your values and how they align with different candidates and I have people in my life who like to say, oh, I'm just smack dab in the middle and everything and I don't lean towards one party. I'm just independent floating in the middle, which isn't exactly to be clear what PBD articulated. He's willing to eventually say, yeah, I'm, I think he's willing to say I'm on the right for Trump, but his hesitancy to say that up front is rooted in this popular way of approaching politics. And there's this whole cottage industry of people who are very clearly partisan, very clearly advocating for one party, but would deny that until the end of time. Now, I'm completely detached from favoring anyone or any party, but I just happen, I just happen to upload only right-wing videos. And I think it's a fundamentally misleading way of discussing politics. And I think sometimes it comes from a good place. For example, PPD answers, I'll vote for whoever is at the consciousness that doesn't allow for force or because he doesn't want to be reduced to just simply another Trump supporter. And I get that. And people on the left will say, well, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. Maybe oh, Dean Phillips or Marianne Williamson or an independent candidate. Obviously, Trump's bad, but I don't like Biden because they don't want to be reduced to just another middle of the road Democrat. And again, I get that. But if you clearly support an individual, I think you have to be intellectually honest enough to say, I'm voting for this person and here's why. And here's why others should too, if you're confident enough to try to compel others. And in a moment when the Republican Party has gone so far off, off the deep end and Trump poses a threat to the foundation of our democracy, I think I at least have the responsibility to, and many do, not to just passively indicate I'm voting for Biden, but to aggressively encourage others to analyze the facts of the situation and come to that same conclusion. And this brings me to a quote from Holocaust survivor, Ellie Weissel. And in his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech, he said, quote, we must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. And so what does that mean? Well, to be clear, it doesn't mean within the political context, you sacrifice facts or truth for party or side. It means that especially in a position like mine where i'm covering politics in front of an audience you got to be clear and i think in your personal lives too regardless of if there's an audience be clear and transparent about when the facts have led you to be motivated to clearly advocate for one candidate over the other or one party over the other so in this current moment i'm not gonna do a gazillion stories about how trump is a threat to democracy but then go on some podcast and be like no, I'm actually not into this whole left-right paradigm or Republican-Democrat paradigm. I think they're just all horrible and the same, and I just pick the truth. No, I've picked the truth, and that has led me to, honestly, being able to say we need to come out in large numbers in favor 
of Joe Biden Democrats in the next election to protect our freedoms, our constitution, hopefully to get some more of those solid policies we've been seeing in recent years. There's nothing admirable about rejecting all labels because it induces a feeling of enlightenment when to unite and energize a movement around a common goal for good, we need a form of identification, some common way we associate. I've had a bunch of conversations with people who don't vote because they've heard this over and over, these enlightened centrist talking points about how it's all just meaningless political noise and maybe one day we'll get a party that's above it all and could just pick logic, just pick the best. It's like the Andrew Yang. We're just going to pick the pragmatic common sense policy yeah that's kind of what we're all debating about guys <laughs> and uh so people feel like i don't want to engage in partisanship and then that ends up making them disengage and not vote it's easy to disengage it is because to engage can cause tension with those who disagree to engage requires you to research and fact check your beliefs and go out on a limb and then feel let down when things don't go the way you had hoped. What's hard is to realize sometimes there is a correct side of history. It wasn't admirable, for example, to be right in the middle on civil rights. Now ah, they can have some rights, I guess. We can split the difference between the two sides here. No. And so be bold and then be proud to identify yourself some type of way. <laughs> now, this of course doesn't mean there aren't huge criticisms of both sides. There are, of course. Uh, plenty of people, for example, who identify as on the left make me crazy. But simply equating both sides just because there are two and because each, side's, uh, each side has their issues is a disservice to people. And I'll note that, as I mentioned, the Democratic Party keeps choosing its most moderate members to lead it. So the idea that both parties are equally succumbing to the tendency to sprint in opposite extreme directions is ridiculous. Biden was the most moderate candidate in the 2020 primary, and he won the primary. Democratic voters are often <laughs> keeping a little bit too centrist Democrats in power for my taste. It used to be cinema, for example, whereas the Republican Party has been consumed by its extreme faction, controlled by its extreme faction, and most of the quote-unquote moderates just go, yes, we're good with whatever you want, MAGA. So who's making it to positions of power? That's always the question you have to ask. And again, the Democratic voting base doesn't choose extremists like the Republican base does. So equating both sides because both sides have their problems is actually really dangerous. Uh, and right now in the pro-democracy versus anti-democracy clash that we're in, where one party's choosing the guy as their presidential nominee who tried to block the peaceful transfer of power through multiple allegedly illegal schemes and is now running saying he wants to terminate the constitution the government should come down hard on media outlets he doesn't like his political opponent should be locked up etc and on one side and on the other side i should say you have a guy who respects the constitution and our democracy not to mention all the historic pieces of legislation and stunning economic recovery yeah there's a clear correct side of history so get on it <laughs> criticize your side when necessary of course Hold them to account, but be honest when your analysis of the facts have led you to advocate for a candidate or party, which is what I try to do. And instead of trying to recreate the social infrastructure that we've created to describe political ideas and sides in this new way, and I'm about the consciousness of the many, 
uplifting the lack of oppression for the few. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just honestly operate within the paradigm that people commonly use. Let me know what you think of all that. Lots, lots you can respond to. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and you can become a member at lukebeasleyshow.com slash membership.